Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill's Worski Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the absolutely brutal play of the Chicago Cubs, uh, the, the White Sox in the Field of Dreams game, and the debut of one Justin Fields. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. Sure, the season's not going on right now, but that shouldn't stop you from heading on over to icehogs.com, getting yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, signing up for season tickets, and more. Tell them Swarovski Sports sent you. Alex, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. The weather was beautiful. Unlike earlier in the week, the humidity is gone, the extreme heat is gone, but the sun is out and the temperature is perfect, so... I cannot complain one bit. And you know, it was funny. You were kind of listing what we were going to talk about today. I have that feeling that most of our listeners are very, very eager to listen to us here. Uh, what we have to say about that preseason game. So I'm just, I'm just glad football's back. Like, honestly, I really am. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, I know that we had the, uh, the Cowboys, uh, pirates, pirates, uh, Steelers, Cowboys game. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Pittsburgh Pirates probably would play better at football than baseball, but um, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, it wasn't until I saw the Chicago Bears take the field that it really felt like it was uh, it was back. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this weekend we saw the game start across the board. The Hall of Fame game is always the first one. And the Hall of Fame game is great. Don't get me wrong. That's a great time. Uh, to be a football fan, especially if one of your very own is getting inducted and us Bears fans saw Jimbo Covert. But when that first week happens and there's action all across the board, that's when you really start to feel football back. And it really helped that the hype of this game was centered around the Bears seeing their future quarterback. Would people have been watching and tuned in if they didn't draft Justin Fields? Yes, but would the excitement be nearly as high as it would be if it was just going into the season and it was Andy Dalton and Nick Foles? No, 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 no. I don't think it'd be even close. And I think, honestly, the crowd wouldn't be nearly as big as it was if that were the case. But everyone who went to Soldier Field and everybody who uh, who turned in, tuned in, the words, on TV, they all wanted to see Justin Fields. That's all they cared about. And I think it's kind of funny too that people were like, all right, as soon as Nick Foles comes in, I'm going outside. Uh, it was, I mean, I'm sitting here in a completely meatball mode wearing my Justin Fields jersey uh, while we record this. So I am full meatballed up. Um, but Covered I, with the sauce, baby. 
<laughs> uh, you know, for me, I I was at work on Saturday. Um, so I didn't see the game live, but I was listening to it on the radio. And man, just even listening to it, I just, you know, I, I just felt the, the the tingly feeling. I'm like, this is this is a feeling I've never really had before. I mean, I'm always excited when the season starts and when preseason starts because it feels like forever between when the Super Bowl happens and when we start playing football again. And I know there's like, I mean, part of it is the Bears typically aren't going that far into the playoffs if they even get there. So there's even more of a time lag. But, you know, you get the, the draft and you get training camp. But when you just see them put the pads on and play against another team, it it, it feels good. It feels really good. And this year especially because, you know, you, we always have some new player that we're excited to see. But in my lifetime, it's never been somebody to the caliber of of Justin Fields you know, that quarterback. Right, exactly. I mean, this is a quarterback with all sorts of talent. Yeah, I mean, I remember a few preseasons ago, I was excited to see Roquan Smith. It was before they even had Khalil Mack. Remember, they made that trade pretty late. I remember a few years ago when Mitch Trubisky made his debut and actually had a pretty good debut, and there was some excitement there. But this, this was different because when you watch that game, You expected the big reaction for when Justin Fields first came on the field. And it lived up to that. Everyone stood, everyone cheered. Andy Dalton, with the big smile, hugged him and said, you're going in, which is great to see, by the way. I love seeing that. But when he got the snap and he rolled out, you heard the crowd. Like, you heard everyone go, oh, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Like, the anticipation of him making any sort of throw when he got a snap and it was clear he wasn't going to hand the ball off. When's the last time we could say that about any Bears quarterback? I mean, usually you hear noises when they're going to throw the ball, but they're of groans and concern and not anticipation. You know, it's, it's funny, you know, you look last year was supposed to be the big quarterback battle brought in Nick Foles to compete against Mitch Trubisky and everybody pins and needles all the way through because there was no preseason games. It was pins and needles, you know, for even weeks after this point, who's going to win the competition. We don't know. Training camp is closed. Nobody knows what's happening. Who's going to win this competition. You look at it now, less than a, you know, roughly a year later. And no matter who wins this competition, even though they've said it's going to be Andy Dalton, the quarterback is going to be infinitely better than the quarterback who won that competition last year. And, you know, with that competition last year, there was so much forced type about it. It was saying you have a Super Bowl winning quarterback trying to compete with the young quarterback that might be able to bring out his most competitive and eagerness It's like we were just trying to force the whole thing like it was some sort of epic battle. But the reality was you had a young quarterback who has overall struggled outside of a few flashes of being really good versus a quarterback. Yeah, he went on an insane run and won a Super Bowl in 2017, 
but was coming off a really bad year in 2018 with the Jaguars where he got benched for Gardner Minshew. Now you're saying you've got a quarterback battle of a veteran quarterback who would be the best quarterback in Bears history if he were a Bear throughout his career and a potential future star. You weigh the two competitions, and you know what? In this competition, it almost feels like you can't lose because you're going to get Justin Fields eventually. Whereas with the last battle, it's like, well, is Mitch Trubisky going to actually take a step? We don't know. Is Nick Foles going to return to Philly form? We don't know. This feels just much more secure. Yeah, absolutely. Is is I you know we shit all over Andy Dalton when the Bears first signed him, and, and I'm going to reiterate, it wasn't because of Andy Dalton. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with Andy Dalton per se. It was. It was the Bears front office presenting that as if that was the solution and we wanted a real long-term solution. Andy Dalton has had a very nice career. He's not a superstar, but he's had a very nice career and he's put up some exceptional numbers in a regular season. He is his best couple of seasons would, would be the bears best quarterback single seasons in franchise history, flat out. Bears have never in a hundred years had a 4,000 yard passer and Andy Dalton has done it multiple times. So you you look at it and you're like, okay, it, it's just the pull percept. It was more of a, this is what Nagy and Pace are presenting to us is paying $10 million for Andy Dalton. That was the frustrating part. Right, right. Like and there was no long-term solution to be seen. Is I can't think though, now that we know we have Justin Fields, I can't think of a better bridge situation because this shouldn't be a bridge situation where the starter is going to lose his job. I mean, Andy Dalton may get injured, hopefully not. And then that would accelerate things but I really don't see a way that Andy Dalton just plays so bad that they bench him. Whereas Nick Foles, you could see that because it's happened. Mitch Trubisky, you could see that because it's happened. Andy Dalton has never failed. He, he was a victim of a really bad team that decided that they were going to take, you know, a franchise quarterback and, you know, he, but he led his team to how many straight playoffs he's, he's a solid quarterback. Um, but so I, I don't see a, any scenario where Andy Dalton goes in and just shits the bed in the regular season and forces the issue of, well, I guess we got to put in Justin Fields. Now, could I see a scenario where Justin Fields just gets so good that, you know, you sort of force the hand maybe probably not but maybe that's way more likely than the other way around um i could see a scenario where andy dalton gets injured um but i don't see a scenario where andy dalton just plays so badly that they force the issue of having to play justin fields and that's what you hope because when you're developing a quarterback shoving somebody in there out of necessity is never really the best way to go at it. I mean, we saw it in 2017 with Mitch Trubisky and Mike Lennon, 
And you can look back at that situation and you could look at that multiple ways. My argument back then was, look, you say you want to give yourself a best chance to win. And Mike Glennon is clearly not the best chance to win. And if you really want to keep a veteran in there without putting in Mitch Trubisky, then put in Mark Sanchez because it's easy to forget they had Mark Sanchez. They opted to go with Mitch Trubisky and obviously the rest was history. At the time, it was very exciting for Bears fans to see their future quarterback come in um, because, you know, they they just they didn't want to see any more Mike Lennon. But you look back at it now and you say, well, it was not the ideal situation for a young quarterback. Whereas now, even if that were the situation and like I said, we don't want that, but I'd still feel a lot better with a guy like Justin Fields over Mitch Trubisky. We see how much more down the road and more polished Justin Fields is in, you know, compared to Mitch Trubisky. And I think one of the things you can take away from this weekend against the dolphins is you got to see both the goods and the bads as positives because you know what he can do and you know what you can keep building on with him. And you also see where you got to work on things and that's okay. There is nothing wrong with seeing the flaws now early on in his first preseason game. It was his first competition against an NFL team, not named the bears. And you want to see the kinks early and you want to know where the strengths are. So you can keep building on that early. So you, you can't go and expect him to play flawless football and you know, he did a lot of great things and he did a lot of things where you say, yeah, he needs work on that. Now's the time to identify that. But you feel like now compared to the situation a few years ago, you feel like not only are the areas where he needs to be, you know, better, a bit more concrete, but you also have more confidence that he can be able to fix those things. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, when I watch Justin Fields play, I, the most of the warts that I could identify, honestly, were associated with the offense in general and the, mm-hmm. the offensive line. A lot of penalties and just issues with the play calling. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, Matt Nagy for as, is, I guess brash as he is and, you know, talks a big game. He's really conservative out on the field mm-hmm. and there's times in there. And you're like, listen, this is preseason game. Number one, who cares if you win or lose? I want to see you. I you got your, your future franchise quarterback. I want to see when he's, third and long from deep in his own end zone or, you know, deep in his own territory. I want to see him try to come out of that. I want to see what he does. If he throws a pick six, who cares? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. None of that gets scored. It's, you know, like preseason doesn't mean anything. If you look is um under, What's his name with the New Orleans Saints? Uh, he, they, he has like, he wins like a one third of his preseason games in his entire tenure there. Who, Drew Brees? No, no, no. Um, the head coach. Uh, oh, the head coach. Okay. Um, he, he wins. He's Sean won Pate. like, 
Sean Payton has won like a third of his preseason games. And um, I don't know what happened yesterday, but up until yesterday is under John Harbaugh, they had won 17 straight preseason games. It is not indicative of anything. It doesn't matter. The 08 Lions went 4-0 in the preseason. Yeah. It it doesn't matter. Just go out there. And I want to see, you know, I can see you be conservative in the regular season. Go out there and try some things. You know, see what kind of confidence he has. See what he can do. You know, especially when you have a guy that if something breaks down, he could easily run for 10, 20, 30 yards and, and pick up a first down. You know, I, I just sort of want to identify quickly is the difference in the guy that we saw when we got Mitch Trubisky. And, and I think a lot of us were excited because we drafted a quarterback so high, but that draft class was a lot different than this draft class as far as quarterbacks. Um, you were, you were, are, there was no consensus. This is the guy quarterback didn't go num, uh, number one overall. So it's a different draft class. This draft class, there were so many quarterbacks that you were like, I, I can't rank them. There was what five went in the first round. This draft class. Yeah. So you had Trey Lance, you had Trevor Lawrence, obviously Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and, um, though the kid, the Jets one, took the, yeah, the beat from BYU. Yeah. Um, like, Why am it. I blanking on it? Uh, Zach Wilson. Yeah. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. You have five, mm-hmm. five went in the top, what? 17 picks, 18 picks. So like in the first half, you had five, it was, it was, and we saw most of those quarterbacks do phenomenally well in their first appearance in a preseason game, which yeah. I, I mean, I w- I'm here for it. You know, we, we always want to talk about, Oh, who's going to suck and who's going to be great. What if all of these quarterbacks are just really good? And this, this comes out as the best quarterback draft ever. That would be awesome. Honestly, like how cool would that be for Justin Fields? to be a superstar and for him to do it year in year out to say he came from an elite draft i think that's a great story yeah i think that would be fantastic you know but mitch trubisky when he came out is we've discussed it before um most and not by a a landslide but most people had mitch trubisky number one but when you actually looked overall where they thought he should be I, i would say that it was anywhere from 10 maybe eight to 20 that range that he should have been picked. So there was, it was not a phenomenal quarterback class and it ended up being that the quarterbacks two and three were far better than him. But when, when Mitch Trubisky came out, he just looked confused and he didn't look confident and just him making the, the play calls in the huddle you were like, okay, well, you know, this is, he's young. He didn't have a lot of experience in college. It, it just, we justified it. But when we're sitting now with, with Justin Fields is he goes into that huddle and he's confident. He knows the play. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's already, he's looking downfield and looking at his checkdowns. He just understands the offense already. I mean, it's it's very clear that he recognizes the offense better than Trubisky. 
and is, he's yeah. much more confident. And the the gun is bigger. He's just got a bigger arm. Like it, it is, it's like you eat bad food every day for your whole life, and you're like, and you decide you're like, well, you know what? This is I eat this every day. I must like this. And then somebody finally feeds you good food, and you went this is what good food tastes like. Holy cow. You know, it's, it's, it's just refreshing. Yeah. So, um, I'm actually texting with some friends right now. Shout out to, uh, John, Andrew and Chris, uh, John's been on the show before I told them, ask me uh, some questions. We could address about the bears and Justin Fields. So one of the Justin Fields questions, first of all, <laughs> my one friend jokingly asked, is Justin Fields the best quarterback in the division? Meatball me says yes. Logical me says no, that's still Aaron Rodgers. But um, one question we got was, what realistic takeaways can we take from Fields' performance? And, you know, you you and I have already kind of discussed what we see differently in him I think one good thing I'd like to take away from Justin Fields in in this performance is just going further on the confidence. How many times did we see Justin Fields take the snap and roll out? And how many times did we see that with Mitch Trubisky and cringe what could happen? And and not just, I don't want to keep bugging on Mitch Trubisky. I'm talking about almost any other Bears quarterback. But when I watched Justin Fields this Saturday, every time he rolled out, I was saying, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? In a good way. Is he going to throw it deep downfield? Is he going to get, you know, a nice check down of a guy making an adjustment on a route? Or is he going to run? And we saw a little bit of all of that. And man, let me tell you, my favorite takeaway from Justin Fields this game, honestly, I love watching that dude run. That one first down he got and then that touchdown, I'm just like, oh, baby, there he goes. It was, oh, it was, it, 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 it made me feel things. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I don't want to anoint him as like the, the next, you know, Aaron Rodgers or something, but that you, you saw so many good things and the confidence is there. And I think that's just huge. The confidence is the, were there warts? Absolutely. He needs to protect that ball better. He, you know, he had it one knocked away. That was, you know, the, the bears recovered, but he needs to protect that ball better, especially when he's running, protect that ball. Um, when he's, when he's dumping it off, he needs to make sure that he's dumping it, uh, you know, where guys have a little bit of, uh, you know, they can, they can catch it on the run. Um, a lot of those ones where he dumped off, the guy got tackled after, you know, right when he caught the ball or gained a yard or two, didn't pick up a lot of, of yards after the catch, which, you know, you sort of need when you're dumping it off. Um, but just, I mean, you saw the threat of the run from the Dolphins. There was one play where he rolled out and uh, the defender was caught in a, do I cover the guy that I'm supposed to be covering and let uh, Justin Fields just run? Or do I step up and force him to pass the ball, but leave that guy open? And you really put the defender in a no-win situation because that is a no-win situation. With Mitch Trubisky, 
uh, towards the end, he got so gun shy about running that he's gonna, I mean, he will make a bad pass on the run rather than just put his head down and, and run it. Like, you know, you saw Justin Fields, he, he ran up towards the line of scrimmage and he forced, he forced that defender to make a decision. And the defender decided to step up and he, he just had a little dink dunk pass right over the guy's head and it was caught. And you're like, okay, that's that adds to the arsenal of this offense. Yeah. And you mentioned that fumble. You know what I liked about what happened right after that? Dave Montgomery just taking him to the side and just kind of consoling him on how to protect the ball. You know, that's I I liked seeing that. That was a nice sight. Yeah, I mean, the team already loves him. I uh, you're not gonna with I mean. You know, you said you don't want to keep beating up on Mitch. And a week ago, I would have been right where there with you. But then Mitch opened his mouth, and which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, now I'm all about piling on a Mitch if he because he needs he needs a little humbling. Oh, Sean Hopman is ready to throw hands. Oh, I'm ready to throw hands with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, is you know, Mitch, Mitch, how many times did we have? unnamed teammates trying to throw Mitchell Trubisky under the bus. Remember when they turned the TVs off at Hallis Hall? Is Mitch was a sensitive flower and couldn't handle his own poor play. His teammates were, you know, hot or cold with him. And they just, some play, some players didn't like him. And you have Justin Fields come in. And so far, the consensus is everybody loves him. Even Andy Dalton, like you said earlier, when it was time for Justin to come in, who was the first person over there talking to him? Andy Dalton. And that wasn't a fake, phony smile. That was a legitimate. That was genuine. That was absolutely genuine. Like, I, I'm so excited for you. This is an important moment for you. And... When Justin Fields scored his first touchdown, you know, he didn't over-exaggerate, making sure he got the ball. They got that ball. I saw a Bears coaching staff member come over and get that ball, uh, but he didn't he hang on to it. And run. He tossed it over like it was no big deal. This is just the first of many, and I loved it. And he celebrated with his teammates, and you just watched that swagger in there. Yeah, it was awesome. And you know what I also what I the other thing I loved too was during those few struggling drives, you could tell that he didn't lose any confidence. It wasn't going to get to his head. And look how he was able to adjust. And you know, if you want to talk about some of the struggles early on offensively, look at some of the plays. And even even with Andy Dalton, not even just with Justin Fields, even the first few plays with uh, Andy Dalton under center. It was really evident that the offensive line is struggling. It's been very banged up. And when you're banged up, it's kind of, it can be hard to fill guys in. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not more often time. It's not. And the other thing too, was you saw the receivers create no separation and you got to give some of the credit to the Miami Dolphins secondary at that defense is pretty dang good down in Miami, but they had no separation whatsoever. 
and you look at the first few throws of Justin Fields. Yeah, there was one that was batted down that I think they just, you know, they was able to read what he was doing and the line was able to bat it down. But I think the throw was to Rodney Adams. And even though he overall had a good game, you remember the throw towards the sideline, it would have been a first down and it kind of glanced off Rodney Adams finger and incomplete. I guarantee you, Allen Robinson, that's a completed catch. There were some good balls that just weren't caught because the receiver wasn't getting the right separation or just, you know, couldn't come down with it. Yeah. And, you know, I want to get more into the, the expectations here, but Justin, I mean, Andy Dalton, when he came in, the, that offensive line was hot doo-doo made up of, of scabs that most, a lot of them probably won't make the team. Mm -hmm. Um, And when Justin Fields came in, it was still a patchwork offensive line and it was wide receivers that a lot of them probably aren't going to make the team. Uh, I mean, he's throwing to, to Hardy and Adams and, you know, like he's throwing to these guys that they're not the, they're not the regular guys. He's in the regular season. He's going to have, he's going to have like legit receivers um you know Allen robinson is going to be there darnell mooney's going to be there and dave montgomery david montgomery he's going to be there and you're already seeing the the rapport that he has with with jesse james who was a huge addition i think Mm -hmm. um but I, i love that touchdown to jesse james because a lot of times when you had trubisky in and a play would break down Mitch never took advantage of it. That play was a breakdown and immediately he spotted a wide open Jesse James and just, and he didn't get too excited. Um, I mean, if anything, he could have put a little more oomph on that ball, but he just floated it in there. Jesse James caught it in reverse and just be a moon walked into the, into the end zone. Just a nice taste the rainbow bitch right to him. And it, it was a thing of beauty. Because at first I'm like, how the hell did he get that wide open? And two, I'm like, how many Bears quarterbacks would have overthrown that? And I'm not just talking about one. I'm talking about many who would have overthrown that. So, I mean, it seems like not a big deal at all when you're like, oh, yeah, there's a guy where there's like nobody within 20 yards of him. But We've just seen so much blah quarterback play here where it would not have surprised me for so many different guys we've seen here to like over under throw that. And, you know, the other thing too is during that whole kind of warming up of the offense, we saw the flags, we saw the false starts and that can't happen in the regular season. That needs to get cleaned up, but there was kind of something kind of cool about how amped up they were to play with Justin Fields, because that's really kind of what I think it was that one with Javon Wims, where he basically just started while not everyone was even set. Like that dude is ready to go out there and like be an open target for his quarterback. Again, that can't happen in the regular season. You don't want that. But for the first preseason game, you see that and you kind of can't, can't help but laugh and smile a little bit. Yeah. And Going into this game, uh, um, you know, I I had a few things that I just wanted to take a look at. 
One, I wanted to see Justin Fields play. So much hype. I've seen a lot of, of you know, clips here and there on, you know, from whatever is allowed to be shown from training camp. Um, I wanted to see what the offensive line would look like. And I wanted to see some of the the fringe guys, what they would look like competing for a roster spot because I missed that last year. And I think, I think it hurt a lot of players in the NFL that they didn't have the opportunity to have a preseason to, to try to win roster jobs. I'm glad you bring that up because one of the questions I got from a friend was, and we could talk about this as we go, he was asking which bears players on the roster uh, bubble improved their stock with this game. Um, Alec Ogletree, infinitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. He was the guy. It's funny because I never considered him a roster bubble, but if you listen to a lot of the, the actual beat writers um, and I, I have to look at depth chart, but I think the depth chart too is he looked like he wasn't going to make it and watching him play. Sure. He, he had a, a missed coverage on, on uh, the tight end was Gasicki. Yeah. Um, and you're like, okay, but there was so many big plays that he made. You watch the speed that he has, which Danny Trevathan is sorely missing at this point that you're like, I don't know how this guy doesn't make the team. He's got so much experience. He he's better than anybody else that you have in the backup role. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw outside the blown coverage. I just think he anticipated him keep going across, but he ended up going straight forward and he just misread that and he ended up being wide open. But you look at that goal line stance that they had later on that drive, and that was some impressive stuff, and he was a big part of that. Um, Rodney Adams, I think, moved his way up. And like you said, not a perfect showing, but – Really, he's not competing for – he's only competing for the back-end spots of that wide receiver rotation. He's not, yeah. he's not you know, displacing uh, Allen Robinson. He's not displacing Darnell Mooney or Demarius Bird. He is looking to displace Riley Ridley and Javon Wims. And I, I'm, I'm a guy who really thought Javon Wims is a talented guy. And I'm at the point now where he's been with this team long enough. It's either shit or get off the pot. Mm -hmm. And, and as you saw last year, he shit, but he shit all over the floor. Um, so I I'm fine. The, and the reason that he's still on this team is because of special teams. That's it. Period. If, if he wasn't, if he wasn't a solid special teams contributor, he wouldn't be on this team. And, but there you have it. And he is, he's you know on this team right now, but I think Rodney Adams was out far outplayed him. Um, let's see who else. Uh, I mean, I don't think Khalil Herbert was ever on the bubble because he was a draft pick, but he looked good. I liked what I saw from Khalil Herbert. I'm glad you meant. If you weren't going to mention him, I was going to mention him. I really liked what I saw. Um, I mean, they like Pierce, uh, Williams, Montgomery, Herbert are making this team, and 
and uh, I think Ryan Nall, even even though he had, um, you know that that one big run, I, I don't I don't know how Ryan Nall makes this team. Well, Ryan Nall, that's he he's here to make that big preseason run every year. And and I'm sorry, Big Dave. I know you love Ryan Nall, but I don't see how he makes this team. <laughs> I was gonna say you are uh, you are insulting the man of Big Dave. Yeah, I, I I don't know, I don't know how he makes this roster though. Honestly, it's um, it, it, there's too much depth at this point because Williams looked good in when he came in. Um, you know, you're like, okay, he, no rust there. Um, um, so I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank of who else, um, uh, who else? Let's see. Um, that the draft pick, the Kiris Tonga looked good. Um, I, I liked I liked him. Um, I mean, that's that's all I can think of at this this point offhand. You know, I yeah, didn't check it down, yeah. but th- those are all guys that really stuck out. Um, yeah, Kiris Tonga looked good. Uh, I know, I know he'll be playing in a, in a rotation because Eddie Goldman just got activated from the the COVID list today, which is a big, big, uh, big news. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking at the inside linebacker. Um, there's probably going to be four inside linebackers kept on the final roster. So Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, yes. And Alec Ogletree going into this game was listed as um, third string, which means that he wouldn't have made this roster. And I know there's familiarity with Christian Jones, but Alec Ogletree is a lot better. Joel, he would be in a way is a very good special teams contributor, but he's a far cry from Alec Ogletree. Um, You've mentioned special teams on a number of occasions. That If you were to look at a spot that I think really struggled this Saturday, special teams is kind of... Bleh. And And you're right. Absolutely. It was a struggle with special teams. And, you know, right now it's trying to figure out is is what combination of it is man you really are struggling after cutting i don't know the best special team person you've had since devin hester retired um both as i miss him like i miss cordero how do you get rid of cordero patterson um they just not could they not afford him you, you find a way you find a way there's always a way, especially when he's not making that much money. What do you get? Four million dollars a year, or three million, three and a half. Life uh, uh, finds a way. It's just you you find a way. But he was not only was he a great returner, but he was also a kick coverage guy. That was your best kick coverage guy. Yeah, he was great at it. So I mean, he was a Pro Bowler both years. He was with you. Yeah. So dumb decision. But you got to You're trying to figure out how much of it is it you miss Cordero Patterson and how much of it is that the dolphins actually have some really good returners. 
And well, that's true. They got great returners. Yeah, they they're they're flush with returners. So it, it, it's when you're looking at it, somewhere on that spectrum is is where you actually lie. And but regardless, is I don't like the results at this point. And that's a definite area where they're going to have to get better because I think the defense is going to be okay. I think the offense is going to hopefully the offense is better than it was last year. But if you want to actually compete, you're going to have to be very solid in special teams. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we feel comfortable with, with our kicker. Yeah. Cairo uh, Santos. What was it? A 52 53 yard field goal he made yesterday. And it was like easy. Yeah. So we we're very happy with Cairo Santos. Uh, Pat O'Donnell had some good punts. So you feel okay there. He's a veteran. You feel okay with that. He gets hated on for some reason. I, I don't get why. Um, I don't hate on him. It's just he, when we brought him in, his nickname was mega kick and he's never been an elite punter. It's just been okay. He's, he's been, been a perfectly fine punter. In my opinion, he's been, he's been average. He's been like average, maybe slightly above average. I mean, how, what do you expect from a guy who over the past few years has had to punt so much? His leg has probably wanted to fall off. <laughs> like seriously, but, you know, I, I didn't know they were going to bring him back this year because of the salary cap. I was like, well, you could probably get a young punter for the league minimum and say, and whereas you're paying him about a million, a million two, you could probably save yourself what, like $750,000 by going. And, and if you're pinching pennies there, like that, and you're up against the, the cap, that amount does mean something, but they decided to stick with the veteran. So, um, but it's the, it's, it's going to be rough until we figure out who the punt returner and the kick returners are. They're clearly not going to be the caliber of what we had last year. And, and then it's the punt cover and punt and kick coverage. You know, we've got to be solid on that. And you got to wrap guys up too. Absolutely. You got to wrap guys up. Um, but you know, the, the, you know, I know it's just preseason game one, but we've only got three preseason games this year. We're a good chunk of the way through training camp, and we got to see improvement on on special teams and the coverage units. Um, offensive line is another unit I wanted to see, and I was not impressed. But again, there's been so much upheaval there, where Tevin Jenkins still hasn't practiced, and, and I'm so confused by this. I've seen Tevin Jenkins on the sideline bench pressing. I've seen him pulling a golf cart by a rope. I've seen him do things on the sidelines, but he hasn't practiced yet. Yeah. And they keep talking about the back and how they might've known about back issues. And it's like, Oh geez. I'm sure any pre-existing condition they knew about, especially since the report is coming out that it was on his draft combine medical notes. Mm-hmm. So, um, they had to have known about it. It's, um, but I don't think this is the same back issue. I think this is a new back issue, which uh, I, on one hand frightens me less and on one hand frightens me more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if, 
what the rumor issue is with his back is true. Um, it's usually the, the healing process is four to six weeks of rest and you're fine. So if this happened very early on in training camp or right before training camp, um, then we're on target for him being back soon. If that's the case, I'm like, okay, not as worried. But the the other thing is, you know, Afedi was out and Barome is out and Jenkins is out and you're playing a lot of guys that you're not expecting to play. So Elijah Wilkinson starting at left tackle when he's just supposed to be your swing tackle. Um, it, the offensive line didn't look so great. It didn't look as bad as I was expecting. It could have been worse. Like, honestly, it could have been worse. And I felt like as time went on, they started to protect a little better for both the passing and the running game. Still yeah, wasn't it, ideal, but it was better. The running game is where I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned at this point. The pass blocking was not so bad. You had, uh, you know, 27 dropbacks during the game. So mm-hmm. 20 from fields, four from Dalton and three from Foles, and, uh, no sacks. So they were able to do okay, but, um, you know, I, I am expecting to see a much different unit come game one of the season. And, and we, we had a huge move immediately after the game, uh, where the bears went out and signed free agent Jason Peters. Yeah. I mean, I got that notification maybe 15 minutes after the game ended. And I'm like, what the same Jason Peters who was with Philadelphia all those years, who's a nine time pro bowler, a super bowl champion, a two time all pro on the hall of fame, all 2010s teams. And yeah, it is that same Jason Peters. I understand he's 39. Now I uh, only played eight games last year, but honestly, if you need a body, get a body who has experience being great because even if he's not playing at his best level, who better than to help kind of mentor some of these younger linemen than a guy like Jason Peters. And the funny thing is, is, you know, we talked about during the, the, the draft process and after the bears drafted Tevin Jenkins, that, um, that he, he had compared to other starting tackles in the NFL. He had short arms. The other guy that they compared him to with that length of arms was Jason Peters. Mm-hmm. And Jason Peters is, has a hall of fame resume at this point. Yeah. So you're like, okay. Um, so now you're looking at if Tevin Jenkins truly, I guess Matt Nagy said today that the Jason Peters signing doesn't speak. It's completely separate from Tevin Jenkins. And let me try to pull up the quote. Um, did Ryan Pace say this? Matt Nagy said it. Oh, Matt Nagy said it. Okay. Uh-uh-uh. I mean, I, I didn't see him say it. Uh, so somebody quoted him on Twitter. Um, Coach Matt Nagy said that Peter signing shouldn't startle anyone concerning Tevin Jenkins' injury. Uh. Peters will actually be com- competing for the left tackle spot and Jenkins playing right tackle. So you can never uh, have enough depth. 
yeah. So in either way, I think um, that uh, I don't know. Even if Tevin Jenkins looks good, and you put him on the left side, you put Jason Peters on the right side. That's um, I think he's a he's gonna be a dominant right tackle. So I think if both of these guys are healthy and Jason Peters is at least Jason Peters of last year and Tevin Jenkins is healthy, I think that gives you a much improved offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on paper as it is, this is a really good offensive line. You just deal with the injuries. That's the frustrating part. I mean, injuries, of course, are big. And Matt Nagy has been trying downplaying the, the offensive line issues by saying, well, you know, last year, once we got the right guys in there, things really gelled up quickly. But it took you after a six-game losing streak to figure that out. Yeah, it was the last quarter of the season that all happened. You figured it out way too late. You need to be at that point come week one if you really want to compete. That's the issue. Right, right. So uh, that's the concerning part is just the amount of injuries. But if I have a crystal ball, I mean, I heard Brad Biggs. Brad Biggs is, he's, he's already saying that he's, he's going worst case scenario in his brain and Tevin Jenkins is going to get put on the IR and, and be done for the season. And I don't know. I mean, the bears have had a history of lying about severity of injuries. We've seen it. We've seen it not just recently, but you know, going back a long way. And it's tough to to say to compare different regimes, but the Ryan Pace, Pace regime has done that, namely Kevin White. Yeah, Un- downplayed all the injuries that were there. So it, it's hard to believe what they have to say. But again, they've also told the truth on things. So we don't know until we know. And I would say that we've probably got about a week before, you know, we hear, we hear, uh, if, if it's be, we, in a week, we don't hear anything about Tevin Jenkins. I think we start getting worried, but that would be about the point where we would have to say they need to put him on the pup or IR because we're getting way too close to the season. Yeah, because like you said, there's only three preseason games, and we're already down one. There's two to go, and next thing you know, we're going to be starting the regular season, and he's an integral part of this offense. Yeah, I mean, they really, they were really counting on him. So you've got um, next Sunday, or next Saturday, you have, uh, you have uh, the Bills preseason game two, the, the Fields Trubisky Bowl. Oh, we will get to that. We will get to Mitchell Trubisky. Um, and the week after that, we have the Titans. Um, so Saturday the 28th. And then September 12th, week one. And what's going to be cool is the two oldest uh, tackles in the NFL will be competing against each other. Jason Peters on the Bears and... Uh, uh, Andrew Whitworth on the Rams. I think they're both 39. Well, wouldn't it be great if you saw that and then you're like, wow, look at the quarterback matchup. Two guys that we'd known being on their teams for so long, Andy Dalton on the Bengals, Matthew Stafford on the Lions. 
And now look, one's on the Bears, one's on the Rams. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about that game. Um, Less but, than a month away. I know, but it, it you know the offensive line. I'm still I'm still concerned about that. But the Jason Peters signing makes me less concerned. He makes it feel like it's a security blanket. I mean, like I said, I don't know what I expect out of his play at this point, just because he's much older now. But I, I think having just his presence will be a very welcome thing on the Bears. I think so. I I, I still think he has something left in his tank. You see Andrew Whitworth play, and he's still playing at a pretty high level. Jason Peters was playing at a high level, um, you know, very recently. You watched the what when he played last year, he played really well. Um, and you know, you watch him 2018 and he was still at a dominant level. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think this is, this is a solid signing and worst case scenario. I mean, well, best case scenario, I guess would be Tevin Jenkins comes back healthy, wins that left tackle spot. And a Fetty plays like you think he's going to play, and he plays the right tackle spot. And Jason Peters is your swing tackle. Um, I think that's your best case scenario. But Tevin Jenkins and Jason Peters being out there, I think, is a is a good spot. You wanted to rant about something? Yeah, I I, I still want to go back to the Bears game, but I you know now that you're mentioning it is. I always like Mitchell Trubisky is a nice guy, you know, he just didn't play well, wish him the best. But then he had, um, I want to, I I don't want to misquote the guy. Um, Trubisky quote. Meanwhile, I actually have a sniper above your house. So if you go too crazy, I'm going to shoot you with a tranquilizer. Um, let's One see. of those arrows with the big, like, fluffy, like, end that looks like a dart. Here is a Mitchell Trubisky quote from the other day. Uh, it's just really nice to be part of a team and be somewhere people want you here and they care about you, uh, about how you're progressing as a person and a player. <sighs> the floor is yours listen you stupid imbecile mongoloid you were you sat on free agency for weeks for weeks and you were ultimately signed behind a guy who is going is going to compete for an mvp you are not winning a spot. You have no chance of being a starting quarterback. You were hired as a 100%, 1 million percent backup. You are a backup in this league. They're not worried about how you're progressing because they don't care. All they care about is, can you go out there in the event that the starting quarterback can't play? They don't care. The Chicago Bears spent a lot of draft capital to get you. They invested a lot to get you to try to be their franchise quarterback. One team, one team out of 32 teams put an effort into making you a starting quarterback in the NFL. 
and that's the Chicago Bears, and you're going to shit on them? Nobody else thinks you're a starting quarterback. 32 teams had your scouting report, had all of your film, watched every single snap you ever made in the NFL, and guess what? 100% 100 of teams looked at your play and said, nope, not a starting quarterback. That's where... That's where we're at. You are so deluded. You have no idea how to self-reflect. This, this should have been a huge red flag for the Chicago Bears that you have no ability to self-reflect. You couldn't have watched your games and been like, man, am I a dog shit quarterback? Let me work on it getting better. No, you, oh, it must have been the Bears. It, the Bills believe in me. The Bills don't believe in you. That's why you are the backup quarterback and you will continue to be the backup quarterback. You have you have a less than 0% chance of winning that starting spot in as quarterback. So I don't know what world you're living in or what you're smoking, but I promise you your version of what reality is and what reality is are way different. This rant has been brought to you by Swirsky Sports and the Rockford Ice Hogs. I, I just, I'm just blown away. I'm just blown away. Like, how, how in the world can he not see that the Bears gave him every opportunity to win a spot and he couldn't do it? And they like, well, we, we can't go another year of, of him sucking without having somebody push him. But they didn't get somebody so such a big push that he had no chance to win. They gave him Nick Foles, who was just beaten out by Gardner Minshew, and that was the competition. They gave you fluff competition, and you still struggled, and you still got displaced. You're not an NFL quarterback, starting quarterback in this league. It's just a fact. And the only reason you're going to get uh, – you know, you're going to have a long career in this league, I think, as a backup quarterback. And it's because of your pedigree that you were the first quarterback chosen in that draft. And you're not a psychopath, but, you know, you you just have no chance of winning a starting spot, winning a starting spot. I mean, one thing if somebody gets injured, but you will never win a starting spot as quarterback in the NFL for the rest of your career. Period. Well, I, I can't really add anything to that or say anything. So I, I just, I'm just flabbergasted, flabbergasted, you know, just Mitch Trubisky should just learn to shut up. I, I mean, he, what he should have said was, I appreciate the opportunity the bears gave me. I'm excited to be a bill and I'm excited to keep growing my skills. Nobody's mad about that. And I, I hope Khalil Mack goes out there and sacks him 400 times. And every time from his blind side where Mitch Trubisky has zero awareness. <laughs> just when you think it's over, it continues. Because I just keep getting worked up about it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a Mitchell Trubisky there. And, and I, I just... Mm, angry about it no kidding 
like it's one thing. I, I, I mean, there's some guys that just have a legit gripe. Mitch Trubisky isn't one. They gave that guy, that gave that guy way too many chances, and he still botched it. And he's, and now he's. They did give me a 500th chance. Oh, poor me. I can't remember the last time you were this worked up. Actually, no, I can. When you and I ranted about that dog shit press conference the Bears did back in January, I think that was it. But um, yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't expect you to be as worked up about it as you are. But uh, hey, I, I'm not going to criticize you. I, I wish I had a Mitch Trubisky. I want to go buy a Mitch Trubisky jersey from like the Dollar Tree and just burn it on a pike outside of my house like Vlad the Impaler did with this, the, the decapitated heads of his enemies. <laughs> you need to calm down. You're bringing up Vlad the Impaler over Mitch Trubisky. I don't even know where that came from. That just was like, poof, it just came out. <laughs> I never thought you would be associating something that Vlad the Impaler did associated with Mitchell Trubisky or anything on this show. <laughs> you just never know sometimes. <laughs> You're so mad. <laughs> I just channeled my inner John Lackey. Yeah. Uh, that rattlesnake there, Mitch Trubisky, going, he really chaps my ass. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, there's a few more things I just want to talk about with the, you know, this, this game. Um, the, uh, the defense, I was actually pretty happy about the secondary. Um, and thought, you know, especially considering that uh, a, a lot of guys you know, the starting safeties didn't play and, um, you know, I, I thought that the secondary did all right. Um, you had, you got turnovers, which is nice. Um, you know, you were, you were abusing the, the defensive line was abusing the second or the offensive line of the, the Miami dolphins. And, and, and mind you, this is not the Miami dolphins that, is a laughing stock. Like at the end of the season, this was a team that really pushed for a playoff spot after starting poorly. This team figured it out and it was, there's a, a lot of talent. Team. Yeah. There's a lot of talent. Um, you've got your quarterback healthy in Tua, and this is a team that has aspirations of postseason. Um, so, you know, I, I and, and I don't want to shit all over Tua, but I'm much happier that we have Justin Fields. I mean, I think Tua can still be good, but I think there's a lot to work on with him. I mean, Tua Tua doesn't have that cannon. You know, he did a lot of great things at Alabama, and you saw a lot of of nice touch on balls when he was throwing it, where he'd throw over the defender with a nice touch. And I think that's important. I think it's a skill, but. Um, and you know, it's just good that he plays in Miami. Uh, I, I don't know how well that would, that kind of play would play in green Bay or Chicago in the winter, um, where you've got gale force winds and he's trying to lob a little pass. Yeah. And that's going to, it's going to, you know, in Miami, that's a perfect completion in the, in between the hash lines. And 
in Chicago in in December that's actually out of bounds and incomplete pass. <laughs> it's blown halfway across the field. Soldier Field does stuff to those throws, man. That's why it's nice to have a cannon like Justin Fields. Yeah. But I mean, overall, there was a lot of guys that didn't play, but I, I saw some, I saw some nice things. There's a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. Got to get those penalties on out of the way. Um, you know, the got to figure out what to do when the offense is running dink and dunk passes um, to try to slow down your pass rush, because it was clear that the bears defensive line was dominating the offensive line of the dolphins just dominating them constant pressure and they were stopping the run dead straight yeah and it it wasn't just khalil Mack or robert quinn it was the entire defensive line was just in the backfield eating the dolphins lunch the the runs they they weren't able to really run the ball um akeem hicks looks like a man possessed um so i i mean there's there's definite good things there I just, I want to see a plan in place for, for how they're going to change things up when teams like last year and the year before, when they just switched things up and they were getting quick passes and slant passes and, and, you know, bubble screens to take advantage of that, you know, to stop the bears pass rush and taking advantage of, of a weak secondary, how are the bears going to defend against that? I want to see, I want to see what Sean Desai, how the chess match works there, because I think I think he's got a good game plan, but it's how is he going to counterpunch when when people strategize against what he wants to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so we'll see again next week. And the nice thing is, is the three games we have in in the preseason are against real teams. I mean, Buffalo is a, probably going to be the division winner in their division. Uh, Miami is, is a you know a contending team on paper, and Tennessee has been a tough team the last few years. So we'll we'll see how we stop the run there. Um, uh, you know, if we, not a lot of time between now and then. We'll see Jason Peters probably. Hopefully we see Tevin Jenkins, but if we don't yeah, see him on the practice really hope, field, yeah. if we don't see him on the practice field tomorrow, I don't know how he plays in that game. But I'm sure, I'm sure, come mon- uh, Monday, by the time you guys listen to this podcast, I'm sure the beat writers will have beaten down Nagy and Pace, asking questions about Tevin Jenkins, because regardless of what Matt Nagy says, that the Ryan or the Jason Peters signing being independent of of the uh Tevin Jenkins issue is f- because we have so little updates about what's going on with Tevin Jenkins and we haven't seen him yet uh I think that's going to make people's the you know their brains go spinning wild and they rightfully so and I think there's going to be a lot of questions from the beat writers about that situation and we'll see if how if Matt Nagy is honest or not. And if we see him dancing around the subject and, and trying to to turn it around to, you know, whatever, uh, to change the subject or dance around it, then I think we have something to worry about. Yeah. If, if he says something like, you know, he's day to day at this point, we're hoping to have him back any day now. 
that's that's something that's hard to you can't lie that directly. Yeah, if you don't set a timetable or anything like that, that's worrisome. Yeah. So we'll we'll see come come Monday. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there was there was some good bad the Bears play. Got to clean up those penalties. Um mm-hmm. got to get the rhythm because man, that first half was on the offense was just brutal and a lot of that I I put on the offensive line and Matt Nagy. You know, Matt Nagy's play calling needs to be better. We we saw the improvement when he gave up the play calling and to to Bill Lazor. And honestly, if you're going to have Andy Dalton as your quarterback, I don't know why you're not letting Bill Lazor call the plays because they've worked together before. Um cuz that makes too much sense. Is it's a Matt Nagy ego thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to discuss with the, about the Bears game? No, um, I just, you know, I'm going to reflect overall. I really liked what I saw in a lot of ends, and it's obvious what needs to be cleaned up, as you said. Uh, I think it's, you know, again, these games mean absolutely nothing. So wins, losses doesn't mean a thing. I just think it's nice to get off to a good note with Justin Fields and just kind of the team in general. I think it just helps morale, especially a lot of these fringe guys that are trying to make the roster they're going to be competing hard and seeing Justin Fields do what he can do the fact that this team seems just uber excited about it that just sounds like it's going to bode well and we hope it does (laughs) absolutely um I want to talk Cubs is we we didn't talk about them last week and there's not a lot of good to say but I, I I write down in this this log of of things I want to talk about on the show the next episode, and um and I frantically and angrily I I mean I I was writing with a pen like I was writing with uh one of those fat magic markers, mm-hmm. uh you know it was so big and sprawling after. The ten nothing loss to the Milwaukee Brewers on Wednesday. I'm like, why, why are you giving innings to pitch to Jake Arietta when you could be giving them to young kids to see what you have? And I was absolutely going to lay into the the Cubs front office, and then they released him, and I was like, huh, okay, well, I, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, I, I think the unfortunate truth is Arietta should have been gone months ago. And here's the thing. It really doesn't mean anything now. It doesn't, but for the Cubs, it's kind of malpractice to do it as long as they did. Like for his own sake, for a guy that did so much for you and for your sake, why would you just keep trotting out that rotting corpse out there? Again, I know the games don't mean anything now and Every loss is getting you closer and closer to a better draft pick, but I just still, I, I I know you don't have much else, but like you said, call somebody else up and give them a chance. I like that they're giving Justin Steele a chance, so maybe do it with some other guys. I mean, just how could you have just kept on and on, just putting him out there to give up seven, eight runs? I mean, what was it, six, seven runs in the first inning in his last start? 
um, I think it was a seven spot, seven spot in the first inning. It just, it was so obvious months ago that he had nothing left. I know you need someone, but man, like why continue with that? Again, he did so much for you. Why are you continuing to just, just throw him to the wolves like that? It it just, it, it should have been gone months ago. Really? Is and you know what? If I would rather I would rather see a young kid throwing dog shit innings and getting beat up rather than Jake Arietta. Because here's the thing: Jake Arietta is never going to be any better. This is who he is at this point, and he will never be any better. He was at one point, but that might may as well be ancient history. Is from this point. From today, going forward, never going to be a better pitcher. You know what you you know this where the current ceiling is, and where his future ceiling is, and it's not good. But you feel like, well, with a young kid, even if he takes lumps, you're like, we don't know where his ceiling is, and we don't know, you know, how he's going to look, how he's going to handle re- resilience. Um, you just you don't know how he's going to take you know his lumps and come back and you want to see that because you need to know what the young guys are going to look like if you're going to be successful in your next phase of uh, competing right exactly there was just no use of having arietta go out there look if he was throwing like a 4-4 era fine because that's in this day and age, a 4-4 ERA isn't good, but it's not awful. It's around average. But the dude's ERA was almost like seven. And I read somewhere, I, I don't remember who said this exactly, but I saw somewhere that Jake Arietta, based on starters who gone like, I think, 20-plus starts in Cubs history, like he'd have the literal worst season as a starter in the history of the franchise. Somebody who once was the best was now the worst. I mean, his walks per nine are are the highest they've been in a long time. Probably since Baltimore, right? Yeah, since Balt since his worst season in Baltimore. Um his home runs per nine are almost double what they've been at any point in his career. So he's given up home runs. Um, his, uh, hard ball, his hit hard ball hit rate or hard hit rate is, is through the roof. Um, his ground ball rate is a significant drop, even from where it was the last two seasons. Uh, ERA is up about seven. Um, his ex-fip is 482. His war is negative 0. 0.7. Oof. Um, let's see. <clears throat> the K rate is down. Walk rate is up. Um, the whip. His whip is 1.76. That, I mean, that's, you round that up to 1.8. That is just awful. That is terrible. Um, 
Yeah, I, I just his hard hit percent is almost forty five percent. Yeah, bad, bad. Twenty in twenty fifteen, it was half. He's double. It is I, – I, there's – like every, any stat you can measure, he's bad. He's bad. So I, I just – what is the point of paying him and and trotting him out there every five days – it should have been over when they blew that seven nothing lead against Milwaukee. What what that should have been the end of him, and that was really the end of everything. Yeah, there there's no there's no need for him on this team. And then being an asshole in the post game press conference. Yeah, that didn't help either. No, it didn't. It didn't at all. Is is you know, adios. I don't. I don't know if he'll ever find another pitching job in the majors. I mean, I know the Padres are getting kind of desperate, but um, you know, if that doesn't work out, I see next year just being, he'll probably sign a minor league deal somewhere if he tries to continue. But honestly, I, I think he should just retire. Like there's nothing left. I mean, the guy has made good money. He doesn't need the money. No. Um, you know, so just retire. He has made in his career um, just shy of a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and you know, you get you get those nice bonus incentives with playoffs, and I'm sure that his jersey sales sold quite a bit. You know, it just he was he was on top of the world for a long time, and. What sucks is that, I mean, his legacy was already cemented, but like there's, there's going to be that part now where you think back, like, oh, remember that second stint where he was just awful. And uh, that's, I just think it's a shame. It really just makes you want to go back and say, I just, I mean, just the way you performed, it makes you say, I wish we didn't re-sign him. Like, really, I wish we didn't re-sign him, A, because he was horrible, and B, now part of his Cubs legacy is coming back and just being absolute dog shit. I mean, white dog shit. Not even, like, normal color dog shit. The white, gross dog shit that um, Will Ferrell had to lick in Step Brothers. Y- yeah, that, yes. Sure. <laughs> It was just awful, like beyond awful. You know, I was thinking about all the other starting pitching uh, you know, fiascos we've had on the north side. You remember when Edwin Jackson didn't work out? Uh, you remember when Travis Wood would have a good season and a not-so-good season. Good, some of those not-so-good seasons were very mediocre. Or when Mark Pryor tried to come back in like 06 from all those injuries and wasn't good, like – you put those together and it like doesn't equal how bad Arietta was this year. And it got worse as time went on because his first few starts, he really wasn't bad. And then it got bad. And then it got really bad. 
and then it turned into this. Over the past month plus, it has been as bad as you can get. It, it's it's worse than we probably thought it could be. Oh, yeah. I thought at worst he'd be like a high fours ERA pitcher. But this, this is historically bad. Yeah, I mean, when when you're at a 45% hard hit rate, people are just clobbering. You are not fooling anybody. Not with no. your stuff, not with your location. You are just getting clobbered. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even it wasn't even close. They weren't missing anything. And I just, I watch it and I'm like, I can't believe that six years ago, this was the guy that every time he went on the mound, you knew they were going to win. You expect, what he did in 2015 was stuff of legends. And I loved every single second of it. That is when he became like my favorite player. And watching him, even in 2016, when he wasn't quite as dominant, but still all-star level elite. And when he pitched two gems in the World Series, like that was a guy that you trusted every time he took the mound. And now you didn't even trust him to get a single out. Yep. And you know what, Sean? He was bad. But you know what? So is the rest of the pitching right now. Um, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Albert Alzale. I mean, I know he's injured, but oof, that last start was brutal. I think, I think he's got failed starter turned elite reliever written all over him. Because I think... There was a lot of promise with his stuff. I've said the stuff has looked good for a while now. I just don't know if he's a starter. I think he might be a reliever in the future. And if he's a reliever in the future and a really good one, fine. I just don't think he's a starter. I gave him every chance. I wanted him to start every day. He has started every day. You've seen a number of times where he flashed being good. And then it, it would just go downhill. He'd give up a three-run home run to a left-handed hitter. And then all of a sudden, what looked like a quality start is like five runs, four or five runs, and five in the third inning. He was almost like a Chris Archer in a way. Because if you've watched Chris Archer over the past four or five years, he was that guy that could rack up a ton of strikeouts, but he'd only go like five innings and give up three, five runs a start. You know, that's kind of what's reminded me of Alzali. And it's not like he's a fluky junk ball pitcher. Like I said, this stuff looks good. I just wonder, maybe he just is a reliever long-term. I don't know. It happens to a lot of guys. Yeah, so, I mean, you're not seeing good stuff from him. And now he's, what, hamstring injury? Yeah, who knows if he even pitches again this year. Yeah, you know, that's that's not good. Um, you have. Uh, you got a stinker from, from Kyle Hendricks. And that was a bad day overall for anybody with the last name Hendricks pitching in Chicago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so you, you got a bad performance from, uh, from him. Um, I mean, you got a You got a Zach Davies performance. You, nothing, you know, just meh. Yeah, but before that, the game against the White Sox, that was just ugly. Um, yeah, Great if you're a White Sox fan, but for a Cubs fan, no. Um, and then I guess today you got a you got an all right start from Mills. He was fine. 
he was fine. But then the bullpen just looked like shit. But uh, you expect the bullpen to look like shit. You traded, you traded any effective arm you had in the bullpen. Yeah, now you're just seeing, at this point, you're trying to get Rowan Wick back. You're trying to get Cody Hoyer back to form of good level. And you're seeing if Manny Rodriguez could give you anything. Yeah, so it, it this this bull or this pitching unit, both starters and bullpen, are just bad, just bad. Well, Sean, I want to tell you a little story. You mentioned the Kyle Hendricks shelling. I was there. I got a ticket that morning. I didn't have anywhere to be. You know, I'm still looking for a new full time job. Um, ever since I got laid off from my last one due to the pandemic, uh, so. I didn't have anything to do Thursday. I didn't have any interviews. I didn't have any meetings. I didn't have anywhere to be found a ticket for 15 bucks in the upper deck of the Cubs game. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I just want something to do. So I went and I made a video blog of it. So if you're listening and you want to watch my full video vlog of the whole experience from the first inning to the very last out, because I stayed all nine innings of that 74 drubbing go on YouTube my channel name is just Alex Pat. It's the most recent upload. Take a look at it. But not only did Hendricks give up nine runs, they were up like 13 to one by like the fifth inning or the sixth inning. It, it, it all blends together now, but that was a mugging from the very start. And Kyle Hendricks, his ERA is now above four uh, with that shellacking. Everything was getting hit. He wasn't missing anything. In terms of bats, they were just clobbering everything. And I was surprised how much it filled up. I'd say there was, I don't remember the exact attendance. They showed on the board. It might've been a little over 30,000. I'd say there was about 10 K empty seats around there, but the bleachers were mostly full. The lower level was, had a good amount. So the upper level, the corners where I was sitting at is where usually the last seats are there to sell. So the corners were pretty empty. By the eighth inning, I was the only one on that entire half of the upper reserve. I'm I, I'm not kidding. I was literally the only one. I stood those last two innings. I stood and watched Andrew Romine come in to pitch to his brother. I got to see a position player pitch in person, and he was throwing like 79-80, impressive stuff. But I was standing there, zero people around me, watching this all unfold. And man, I can tell you, the mood in Wrigleyville and in that stadium, everyone was just so apathetic about it. Usually when you're at a Cubs-Brewer game, you hear a lot of cheering when things go well. You hear a lot of booing towards Christian Yelich or when things go wrong. I've been to countless numbers of games where no matter who the pitcher is, if they get shellacked, they get booed. There was no booing. There was no hissing. There were plenty of Brewers fans there, but like there was no like arguing or there was no shouting back and forth between fans, no cheers really whatsoever between the two fan bases, not trying to make any noise. People just went and every everyone knew what was going on. Everyone's aware that this team is a shell of their former selves and everyone was just, they were just there to be there. Yeah, they were paying attention to the game, but they they the expectation was zero. And by the fifth and sixth inning, people started to clear out already. People were like, you know, we, we can't watch any more of this. 
I had a couple families around me, you know, they stayed to the sixth or seventh inning and people just slowly filed out by the ninth inning. There was maybe just a few thousand people there, including my dumbass self. Um, but I just soaking it all in. It felt like just yesterday I was going to ball games at Wrigley where it was jam packed. Everyone was living and dying with every pitch because the games meant something. Now that the games mean nothing again, just the level of apathy throughout that entire stadium. You can feel it just walking up to it. Again, I was impressed how many people were actually there on a Thursday afternoon with a team that's not contending, but it just, the, the energy in the field just, it really wasn't there. The loudest cheers were sarcastic cheers of glee when Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom hit meaningless back-to-back solo jacks in the eighth inning. And it just really put in perspective how the mighty have fallen. Well, I mean, what's crazy is you think about all the businesses that surround Wrigley Field that are reliant on the Cubs fan business to to survive, all the bars and the restaurants and stores, et cetera, and got hammered last year because of COVID, no fans. So they just had no business. And then to have this year, I mean, they're going to thrive when the Cubs are great. Because people are happy, they're spending money, they're celebrating. Even when the, the Cubs fans are frustrated and vocal, they're still going out because they're commiserating with each other. Mm-hmm. But what you have right now is just apathy. Like nobody, they just, they just don't care. Like you know what, this team sucks. Meh. I'll do something else. They're not angry where they want to talk about it with everybody else. And they're watching out of spite and anger and yelling at the TV. They're not excited because the Cubs are winning. They just don't care. And I'll be honest with you is I've only watched highlights since, since trade deadline. I have now watched it. It's not worth it. I mean, it's just, it's just not like I have other things to do with my time than sit down and watch it. I've watched most of the white Sox games. I mean, granted they've had, uh, not most I, this past week. I think I've watched every White Sox game because oh, they've so you're had... a bandwagoner, huh? You're a no, it's just they're actually playing for something. <laughs> I'm in fact, kidding. in fact, yesterday I was down at Comiskey, well, guaranteed rate. Um, and uh, I was, I was, I met a, f- a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in since like 2007. Oh wow. He was in town because he's a big Yankees fan. And he's like, he lives in Cleveland now. He was living in near Philadelphia with me. And he uh he moved like six years ago to Cleveland. And he's like, you know, my wife for my 50th birthday got tickets for me and my dad to come see the White Sox play the Yankees here in Chicago. And he's like, so we drove out. So I met up with him. They had tickets for yesterday's game. And they were like, oh, you know, do you want to meet up before the game? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's meet up. And like, where do you want to go? And I, it's hard for me because I don't go down that area very much. I, I mostly stick with the north side of the city. So it's like, oh, well, there's Reggie's. And he's like, my dad's 80. I don't know if Reggie's is going to be his scene. So I'm like, okay. And they, we want to go to a White Sox bar. So we went to Cork and Cary. And... Uh, you know, so I was down, down at, uh, Comiskey and I, it's funny. I saw a dude that had a shirt that said, um, I'm going to still call it Comiskey. 
Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, so I was down there, but I, I've watched way more White Sox than, than Cubs over the last week because there's nothing to watch with the Cubs, nothing at all. But the White Sox, like, you're like, this is a team that actually has something to compete about. And they're, you know, they're playing at a high level. Well, you know, what I have been doing a lot is I go in those box scores every day from Myrtle Beach to South Bend to Tennessee, and I, I'm always trying to keep tabs on those prospects. That's kind of where the entertainment is right now within the Cubs. You know, what's funny is uh, when when the Cubs claimed Frank Schwindel and uh, people were clamoring, oh, this means that they're going to trade Anthony Rizzo. And I was like, you know, it's hard to say that because you claimed a guy off of waivers that he's going to come in and, and take the place of Anthony Rizzo, you know, World Series hero. And here he is playing, filling in for Anthony Rizzo after you traded him. But he's he's playing well. He's killing it. He He's killing it. It's like he's hitting a home run every day. He's, he's kind of taking over the Patrick Wisdom role on the team. Yeah, he's got... Uh, four home runs and 13 RBIs. He's got a, a 1.147 OPS bat and 370. Like what more can you ask of him? Not much, not much. Hey, and, and uh, Robinson Chirinos is hitting well too. That means anything. Oh, and Adam <laughs> Morgan's ERA is down to 3.07. <clears throat> you know, we, we got a taste of, we got a taste taste of Dykeman coming in, and and he saw he a couple work. of bright spots, and but he needs work. He's still young. He's but, um, you know, I, you look at this roster though, and you're like, who's who on this roster is is actually going to be on the Cubs in two years? Well, I did an article for Cubby's Crib a few days ago. And I talked about in that article how 2022 is going to be absolutely crucial for this next transition because you look at the situation and you say, okay, we got a deep farm system, but a lot of these guys are in rookie ball or low A ball. And if they continue to play this way and get promoted and then still continue to play, then 2022 can be their prime year to just shoot up through the system and shoot up through the prospect rankings. You're also going to need to look at the major league roster and say, if we at least want to be respectable, we got to spend some money and improve this roster because you're not going to be getting a whole lot of the immediate farm come up next year because a lot of them are still a ways away in the majors. Yeah, you're going to see Brennan Davis. Maybe you'll see Braylon Marquez if he can actually get healthy and pitch again, but a lot of these other guys, Alexander Canario, Ed Howard, Christian Hernandez, uh, Kevin Alcantara, a lot of those guys, Reginald Prisciato, Owen Casey, they're, they're way down there right now. So 2022 is going to be big for your development. And on the major league team, you're going to need more starting pitching. You're going to need more depth on the corners of the, uh, the infield. And you're going to need some production in the outfield. I mean, you look at the roster projected to be with guys right now, you say, okay, your starting catcher, Will Scutreras, your second baseman's going to be Nick Madrigal, your shortstop is probably going to be Nico Horner, 
And then you look in the outfield, it's like, well, Hayward, Hayward at this point is just dead money on your team. And I don't think Ian Happ is the guy going forward. I really thought he was going to be something, but this year has just been awful. Um, I mean, is it fair to say that your outfield next year is probably going to be um, Ortega, Brendan Davis, and then Ian Happ and, uh, and Jason Hayward platooning? I, they got to bring in somebody. They can't roll with that and expect to be competitive. I, mean, I don't yes, know. Brent did. I don't know if they're going to be competitive because I mean that outfield is not the reason that they're not going to be competitive. It is going to be a pitching staff issue. Well, I mean that's going to be an issue too. Obviously, um, I mean, you, you know, you, you hear Tom Ricketts and Jed Hoyer saying we don't expect this to be long. We don't expect this to be long. But I ask myself, how the hell are you going to change this quickly? You can't. There are so many problems. How are you going to rebuild a rotation? How are you going to rebuild an entire lineup? Honestly, I don't see any scenario where they're good next year. I just hope next year they're at least somewhat competitive. And then I you think can that, see more prospects come up. I think they're going to stink on ice next year. And then you're going to see them be okay towards the end of the year, like plateau. Uh, I mean, like stabilize as far as being good. They're, I think they're going to. And so then, 2014, basically. And then I think. I think the next year is when they're actually going to spend money and compete. Um, I mean, even if you're not going to compete next year, you still need to bring in free agents because you want to bring in veteran guys to not only fill in spots, but if they're trade bait, then you trade them for more prospects. They're not going to sign any, they're not going to sign any long-term deals unless, unless they're going to get a guy where they think you can still be around in a couple of years. you know, playing well and they get him on a team friendly deal. Like um, if you bring Javier Baez back, maybe. I, I just, I see these as one, two year deals and um, stop gaps. But um, I mean, Schwindel is playing nice and you give him a shot to play next year, but you, you got to have somebody competing behind him. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Schwindel wisdom, it feels very Brian LaHare to me. And, yeah. you know, the more they keep producing, the more you could say, all right, maybe they have a shot. But And there's nothing wrong with giving them a shot in spring training, but you can't go into the season with those as your only options. You need to bring in some other guys in here to compete too. And well, just you need more starting pitching. I can't say that enough. I don't care what your outlook is next year. Bring in some starting pitching. You have to. Yeah, I mean, you know, here here's with prior to free agency – your infield is looking like uh, Patrick Wisdom playing third. Um, you've got uh, uh, um, Nikki Two Strikes playing second. Um, you've got Nico Horner playing short, and and uh, Schwindel playing playing first. David Bodie, you know being your utility guy. That's what you're looking at right now. And I, that's, I guess that's fine if you're, if you're actually in a rebuild, but if you're, if you're trying to turn this around quickly, 
I, you, you gotta, you gotta bring in better competition than that because Patrick wisdom has been a nice story, but I don't see this as being a lot of holes in the swing too. Yeah. There's and for as this, good as he's been, this is, this is, I don't see him as a long-term. I don't see him as a long-term guy with an 869 OPS. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like, if you were going to compare it, He's he's like a better Mike Olt in my opinion. Guy yes. that could hit the ball hard and hit it, you know, over the fence, but you know, a lot of swing and miss. I think that's a fair comparison. I think that's a really fair comparison. And Frank Schwindel feels like Brian Lahare. Um, you know, so uh, like I I guess Horner Horner and um it's like short and second, you're like, okay, I, it would be nice to not have two, two similar hitters in the middle of your infield. Um, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they, how they do that in the, the lineup. It's one second and one eight. I don't know how they, how they swing that. Um, I guess you're set at catcher outfield. I mean, without, without free agency, you're looking at Brennan Davis, uh, Ortega, um, and Ian Happ and Jason Hayward, and maybe hopefully an improved, uh, Dykeman competing in there. Brennan Davis, that's your, that's your outfield. Um, like, okay, I guess, I mean, I guess that's a, that's a team that can show up every day. Now the question is what the hell is your rotation look like? I, I mean, you know, as much as we want to shit all over Zach Davies, if you lose Zach Davies, look at how much worse this rotation gets. Well, you hope in this situation, Justin Steele can prove to be a solid guy. So I mean you're looking at Mills is okay. You hope I mean God knows what's happening with Kyle Hendricks. And it has been it has been a roller coaster of a season for him. Yeah, and you know you know what I think you know you know what I think this shows me and this is not to shit on Kyle Hendricks cuz he's been so underrated and so good for so long. As much as I love the guy, I want him to be a two or three in a rotation. I think in this day and age you can't have an ace that doesn't throw for velocity and miss bats. It just yeah. in in this modern day of baseball, it doesn't work. Um, so I, I mean, you're next year. I do they try to resign Zach Davies? No. Okay, so that means you have Hendricks, Mills, Alzale, Steele. And who who gets the fifth start? Uh, maybe you try to work Keegan Thompson in there. Maybe. Um, I mean, so that without any free agency, that's what your that's what your your team looks like next year. There is so much to do, and I mean. 
just to what I said a second ago. More pitching with velocity. This team had none of that outside Craig Kimbrell this year. Do you think there's any way that in the offseason they try to trade Kyle Hendricks? I don't think so. Because, look, on paper, you look at him and say, wow, those are some pretty damn good numbers. Not, not necessarily this year, but his whole career. But I just, what value is a soft-tossing starter going to bring you these days? I mean, what is anybody bringing you in trade value these days? Yeah, look at what fucking Max Scherzer garnered for the Dodgers. For the Nationals, I should say. Yeah. So, I mean, this Cubs team is just brutal. It's tough to watch, and I don't blame anybody for not watching them. It's no, not, I don't either. You know, I I've seen some Twitter where people are like, oh, you're not a real fan if you're not still watching. I'm like, why? Why? are Why should I put in the effort to watch them when they're not putting an effort forward to field a competitive team? I mean, it gets to a point. I mean, look, they're on their second 11-game losing streak of the season. Multiple double-digit losing streaks. A historical feat for this team. It just, there comes to a point where it's so exhausting where you just say, get me to the offseason. Like, honestly, just just get me to the offseason, and maybe between then we'll see a prospect come up that you might want to watch. But until then, just, just end this. Mercilessly, just you know, as it stands right now, we're recording on Sunday. They have 52 wins, and they haven't won a game in 11 days. They've only won two games since the trade deadline. That was a while ago. Um, if they win nine games or less, they'll lose 100 games. And the way things are going, I'm not going to say that's impossible. And. I know it's baseball and even the worst teams are going to fall into wins. You're going to have a decent stretch at some point. That's just the nature of the game. It's fluky. It's weird. Sample sizes are weird. You're going to run into a few wins, but boy, I, I think 95 wins is or 95 losses is incredibly reasonable for this team right now. I mean, they're playing a team right now. They should be beating. They're playing a team with a worse record with them than the in the Marlins, and and they just got swept. And they got smoked. They got smoked. The Brewers blew you out of the water. The White Sox embarrassed you. The White Sox two or three in Colorado, who are also bad. Um. So who who are the teams that you're you're planning to beat? I mean, on paper, nobody, but. You know, like I said, you're going to fall into a win eventually. That's just the nature of baseball. Uh, yeah, of course. But to have any kind of consistency to not lose 100 games, you need more than luck sometimes. The ultimate so, suck bowl is going to be them versus the Pirates. And how many games do they have against the Pirates? I don't think they... They do go to PNC Park once. I know that. Are you sure? Yes. I don't see it on the schedule. Let me look. I think it's towards the very end. So I'm looking at MLB.com. So they got three against Cincinnati, 
three Kansas City, three Colorado. Yeah, they got seven against the Pirates in September. Uh, why is this? Oh, you're right. Why did the schedule stop? Was that oh. just the rest of August you were looking at? Oh, you know what? It When I was going down to the bottom, the way MLB.com, at least on the phone, it puts it puts the early the month you're in it puts the completed games at the underneath the end of the month oh yeah i've noticed that yeah okay so that's why so you're right so they got um cincinnati kansas city colorado white Sox, twins washington colorado white Sox. oh they already from sorry completed those sorry and white Sox, um minnesota pittsburgh Cincinnati, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Brewers, Twins, St. Louis, and then you end it with Pittsburgh. All right, so you maybe you beat Pittsburgh. Probably not. You're probably losing three or four to St. Louis just to embarrass yourself at the end of the season. Um, you're going to get smoked by Milwaukee again. Get smoked by San Francisco. This is this is brutal, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, Philadelphia is Philadelphia is. Uh, they might end up winning that division. Yeah, things are getting tight there over in the NL East. I'm just looking at the holy cow. The Mets are out. Of, they're in third place right now. The Braves are in first place. Yeah, the Braves have been surging ever since Acuna went down. Uh, I mean. Um, that's weird. <laughs> Your best player goes down. Motivation. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but, um, it's just, it is just tough out there, man. Um, let's see who's even hitting on the Braves. I mean, Jock Peterson. I, is it the Jock Peterson effect? You got Jock Peterson. You still got Ozzy Albies. I think they acquired, even though he's hurt, Eddie Rosario. I'm looking at his numbers since they they acquired him, and Jock Peterson is batting 278, slash line 278, 369, 433 with an 802 OPS. I can live with that. Yeah. And they got Jorge Soler, who 261, 393, 478 with an 871 OPS. Yeah. Good for the good for the Braves. The Brewers are running away with this division. It's almost as laughable yep. as the one Sox. Yep. The Padres are 10 games out of first place. Mm-hmm. Man, the the Giants just don't quit. No, they don't. I mean, they're. I've been waiting for them to regress for a long time, but they're not. And you know what? Chris Bryant seems to be playing pretty well there. Yeah, yeah, he has. Um, watch him sign there and win an MVP over there. I wouldn't be surprised. The Giants are forty and eighteen at home. That's. Impressive. 
That's really impressive. That is really Im- I'm, nobody's even close to that. Oh, they got but, pitching, yeah. timely hitting. They just extended Brandon Crawford. You might be able to keep Chris Bryant around. Good for them, honestly. That's a good organization. And they got one of the top prospects in baseball in Joey Bart. Yeah. Um, but the White Sox, White Sox, different story. Um, they're a very good team. Had a little tough stretch here against the uh, the Yankees. But I, I, I want to talk for a minute about the Field of Dreams game. And mm-hmm. I turned it on about middle of, I think the middle of the third. Mm-hmm. And I watched the rest. And what a phenomenal game. Every aspect. I loved the feel of it. I loved the way that they had drones with the cameras for those, those angles. I loved the uniforms, the white, those white Sox uniforms were awesome. They fit very well. Weren't those the same ones that, uh, Shoeless Joe wore in the movie? Um, yeah, except with the Nike logo. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, I mean, you just, everything was great. And you're like, all right, well, only thing we need now is can we get a game that that can live up to everything else? And we did. Boy, it did. It You could not have scripted it better for this game. Everything went so well. I mean, regardless of how the game went, I think it was presented really well. But the cherry on top was having an exciting, crazy game on top of it. Yeah, I mean, baseball... Baseball hasn't had a moment of just absolutely crushing an event in a long time. And this was it. Like, I don't know how any sport could capture the moment that baseball did with this event. Yeah. And you know, Tim Anderson's been one of those guys where people want to make kind of the face of the game to encourage people to let loose and have fun. And it was kind of fitting that he was the one to go up there and hit the game winning home run and, you know, he hit it. He knew it was gone the second it left the bat. And a 9-8 slugfest, people were loving it. Everyone was loving it. Just baseball fans were embracing it. And MLB's got to be loving it, too, because they're thinking, boy, if this got off to as good of a start as possible, we could keep doing this. This, to me, should be baseball's version of the Winter Classic. Yeah, and, and you look at the four major sports, and baseball is far and away the one with the most nostalgia far and away. Yes. Yeah. It's got the longest history in this country. Um, I would say hockey is probably the second most nostalgic. And that's more of a Canadian thing. And, you know, so the winter classic type thing, the throwback type, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. The NFL is the NFL and, and much more of an extent, the NBA are, what have you done for me lately? Yes. Where you've got, you've got kids now that don't think that Michael Jordan is the best player in basketball. You're like, okay, weird, weird kids. Um, and NFL, it's just like, you know, people don't know players from other eras anymore. And you know, the game has changed so much too. So it's like, it's, it's hard to relate to a time where the quarterback wasn't the flashiest guy on the field. It was either a defense or a running back or a halfback or a return man, you know, just the game has evolved in such a way where as with baseball, you've always had that great intimidating pitcher 
or the one that can hit the ball over the fence better than anybody. And baseball just has that such American nostalgic feel for it because it was America's pastime for the longest time. It's got that label on it. Yeah. So the, the fact with the nostalgia and the love of sports movies and, you know, honestly, feel the dreams isn't that good of a movie comparatively to some of the other sports movies. It did, did doesn't hold up nearly as well. And, but you know, the, the, the premise of it really just screams baseball, yeah, a, a random field in Iowa where you play a game and it, it, it really, they just nailed it. And the fact that you had a great game that go along with it was, was, you know, Rob Manfred's got to be like making out with himself in the mirror. He's so excited. <laughs> I, 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 it, it was, it was perfect. I mean, never and, before have we seen a walk-off home run disappear into a field of corn at the major league level. There was yeah. the first time ever a major league game that counted was played in the state of Iowa. And you heard that line over and over. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. And that's one of the more nostalgic lines from that movie. You could look at the three most nostalgic lines from that movie is people will come Ray. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa or dad. You want to have a catch. And you just, you felt that nostalgia throughout. And the fact that Kevin Costner was there to lead both the Sox and the Yankees onto the field, it just, it, you, you know, there was a little bit where you're like, Oh, is this going to be overly corny? And you're like, pun intended. And then you were like, Oh no, this is great. Like this makes me feel good things. And that's, that's the whole point. It's to feel nostalgic and good about everything. We've had such a rough year and a half on so many levels. We needed something that kind of brings us together, not just Sox fans, not just Yankee fans, but people who love the game of baseball and the country of America. It was like, it was such an American traditional baseball thing. And it just, I felt like it really brought a lot of people together. Yeah, I, I, it was, it was fantastic. And I hope, I hope beyond hope that Rob Manfred and major league baseball, that this was a formula that they figured out and not sheer luck that everything worked out well, because if they're going to continue to do this, I, I don't want it to be, Oh, it was awesome. And then it just stinks every year. I want there to be able to capture magic again. And, and I, I think they can, but it's, it's never going to match the first one. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, you mentioned hockey having the winter classic and you're like, okay, that's, that's really cool. But it's it's a it's lost a lot of its luster. It's not as cool as as the first couple. Well, here's the problem, I think, in my opinion, with the Winter Classic is we're seeing a lot of repeated teams. A lot of people are sick of seeing the Blackhawks or the Penguins in it. Whereas I think with the Field of Dreams, you can have so many different combination of teams. It's not moving from spot to spot. It's in one area. You can have any team come on over. You can have the White Sox and the Yankees one year. Next year, you can have the Cubs Angels Cardinals. and Cubs, Cubs, Cubs Cardinals, it, Angels it, Dodgers. I, well, I think I think I think you know at least for the first several years, I think you need to have teams that have been around for a long time. Sure. So I think the Cubs, I think, the Red Sox, the Cardinals, yeah, you, the Dodgers. You, you can't the have Giants. the Nationals in there right away. You've got it. I mean, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh deserves it. Uh, Red Sox, Cardinals, Cubs, Reds, 
Reds, Giants. Um, yeah, I I, I want to see Dodgers. Dodgers Giants would be a good one to have there. That would be a good one. Cubs Cardinals. I think Cub Cardinals just would scream. It'd be perfect. Yankees, Yankees Red Sox. I mean, I know everyone's sick of that, but I think that just fits well. Cubs, Red Sox, Cubs, Yankees. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, the Iowa Cubs are out there. There's a lot of Cub fans out there. You know, that helps. Um, you know, maybe you can do a battle of Brooklyn and New York, so to speak. You could have the Mets and the Dodgers out there. Queens versus Brooklyn. You know, old you they wear the old-time Brooklyn Dodgers uniforms instead of the LA on the cap, they have the old B on it. I think that'd be cool. And you could do like a Jackie Robinson tribute. There's a lot of ways I think you could go with having the Field of Dreams game every year and having it fresh. I mean, you remember when the Cubs and Cardinals were supposed to play in London? Why London? Who cares about London in the game of baseball? Baseball should be embracing its roots. It should be going, rule America feels right. Not London. NBA, if you want to bring NBA or NFL to London, that's fine. I don't care. Major League Baseball just seems weird in London. It does. It it really, really does. It just, why? Why? We the, the whole point of Field of Dreams is embracing baseball's roots and the love of the game that generations have celebrated. I mean, the, what is it that uh, Terrence Mann says in the game? The one thing that's been consistent is baseball. Isn't that the whole point to embrace the roots and show that even after all these decades with all the change, with all the different trends and advances in technology and interests among America, baseball has always been there. You you know, the Braves are the oldest team in major league baseball. You kind of forget that, don't you? But yeah, Yeah. you you play the Braves there. Braves Braves would be cool. Yeah. So then the Cubs are the second oldest. Followed by what? The Reds or the Pirates? Cardinals. Cardinals. Okay. Uh, then the Pirates. Then the Reds. Um, did I miss one here? I don't know. Then the Giants. Then the Phillies. Yeah, Phillies have been around a long time. Then the As Dodgers. was Connie Mack. The Dodgers. Um, the A's. That would be a cool one. The Phillies versus the A's. And if the if the, the A's wore their Philadelphia A's jersey. Yeah, I like that. That would be cool. That I would like be really that. neat. You know um, what else I like about the the way they did this? It wasn't a series. It was just one game. And I think yes. if it was a series, it would lose a little bit of its luster. The yeah, one it was, game. It was one game and they quickly hopped back. I think it worked because they were in Chicago. They could hop right in there and be there in, in a couple of hours. But it, it was a, it was great. And to see the way that it ended with the uh, the Yankees, you know, hitting a home run off of Liam Hendricks to to take the lead, and then the White Sox to come back with two outs in the bottom of the ninth on a Tim Anderson home run to win it, and just him going around the bases with the motion, you know, in his hand. I, you're like, perfect, perfect. That is the perfect dichotomy of, you know the old 
Major League Baseball and the history and the new era. Perfectly bridged. I couldn't ask for anything better. That's every kid's dream to be circling the bases like that to win the game. That's every kid's dream. Do so in the in the cornfield with the old throwback uniform. It is just perfect. And the scoreboard. I loved the scoreboard. Everything was just perfect. And if the Cubs play next year, even if the Cubs suck, I'm going to find a way to, to make it out there because it, it just looks so cool. It does. And you know, the field of dreams was available to visit, you know, ever since the movie was made, but you know, it's like, okay, there's the farm, there's the field. Okay. But now it's like, there is a legit reason to be like, Hey, let's go and watch some actual baseball being played at the field of dreams. Right. Um, but you know, continuing that series, uh, you know, the white Sox bested the, the, uh, Yankees and that, um, but then the next two games, the, the white Sox just, you know, coughed them up to, to the Yankees and you saw Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks just look mortal. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to switch that dynamic soon because I mean, Craig Kimbrell's been a closer pretty much his entire career. And look, I, I, it doesn't seem like they were bothered by it, but you can't help but wonder if maybe they're kind of looking at their situ- own situations. Like Liam Hendricks is like, oh, you know, I better keep going or else Kimbrell will take my job. Or Kimbrell's saying, I got to get back in that closer spot. That's where I'm best. Like, are they playing mind tricks on themselves? I really don't know. Is this really a sign for much to be concerned about? I'm not going to say that yet. Um, but I mean, I'm not saying Liam Hendricks has been bad by any means. You look at the overall body work this year. He's been very, very good. He was an all-star, but he's been bad since the trade deadline. Right. And we have even throughout the season, there've been times where he's not invincible, been very good overall, but he, he has been beatable at times. Yeah. I mean, he got clobbered yesterday. Yeah. Um, Kimbrell didn't give up a home run at all. And then as soon as he's traded, he's given up a few home runs. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, he gave up one home run as a cub. That was Max Muncie. That was the only home run, only save he ever blew. That Um, one solo shot. But he's given up a a few here as as a White Sox. Um, But, you know, Cease pitched against the Yankees and he looked meh. Um, And you still had a chance to win that game. And it was, you blew it. Uh, you blew it in, in the 10th. Um, you know, you, you just, uh, you had a great game by Jose Abreu. Eloy had another great game. Luis Robert is coming back, swinging the bat. Well, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, and you're, you know, you got the offense, the offense was firing. Now it's the pitching and, you know, the, there was a little bit of Yankee magic in there. So I'm not worried per se, but um, once you iron out those those two closers and the 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 mind aspect of it, I, I think you're you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not overly worried about it yet, but I do think there are some things that need to be addressed on their side. Yeah, um, you know, today just was a, um, you know, just the offensive struggles. Um, but you know, since, since they've come back, Eloy Jimenez slash line 
is 333, 350, 719, and 1069 uh, OPS. And Luis Robert is 313, 355, 478 with an 833 OPS. Yeah, it's not bad. No, not bad at all for guys that hadn't played all year and just hopping back in there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Hernandez had a, had a dreadful game today. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause then he ground into the, the double play that end the game. He, we went Oh, for four grounded into a double play and had three errors. Oh yeah. That's bad. Um, you know, Giolito pitched. I mean, Meh. it was, a, it was, it wasn't a good game as, as far as Giolito standards, but, um, Oh, you know, if a regular pitcher, you'd be like, meh, meh game. Um, Tapera, Tapera's pitched great for the, the White Sox since they brought him over. Um, yeah, yeah, good for him. But Foster, Foster, you know, pitched like shit at the end of the game to close that out. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about the White Sox. Uh, I, you know, they, they ran into a, a Yankees team that matches up real well with them. And it's a, it's a, I mean, every, every game was a tight game and I I would hate to see the Yankees in the postseason, but they're, they're one team that really matches up well with the White Sox. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been hitting on all cylinders offensively. And remember the Yankees are also very banged up too, even with that. They don't have Anthony Rizzo. You didn't see Anthony Rizzo at all. I'm sure that kind of hurt for him not to play. He's got COVID. Yeah. Um, Which it's funny. My friend Brad texted me like uh, right after the trade. And he goes, he's going to New York. How long before he catches COVID? And he goes, up three days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Three days. Um, What a dingbat, man. You could be out there helping your team but instead you're just not going to get vaccinated oh well at least not our problem anymore because he's he's out and there's a few other guys i think gary sanchez is out too judge is the one that killed the white Sox. yeah he he had a he had a big series and um joey gallo too he had some home runs some big ones because it, it Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he hit the go-ahead home run last night in extras? Yes. Or it was like the padding home run. I think they already took the lead, but... I don't know. I'm trying to remember. He did hit a home run, though. He hit a home run yesterday. Um, But you got got a four-game stretch here uh, against Oakland, and I think think, uh, that's going to be a big one. I think, you, you know, because they're a team that's they're right on the edge. They're the team the Yankees are chasing for that last wild card spot. And Oakland's played really nicely this year. So if you can, if you can win that series, take three of four, I think that really cements you as, as a, a threat in the AL. Um, but you I mean, it's, you got a tough stretch here for the white Sox four against Oakland, three against Tampa Bay, four against Toronto before you get to, you get to cakewalk against the Cubs and the pirates. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Um, you know, you just, for their sake, you hope that they're able to kind of get back on track here. Luck they're at home, right? Against Oakland. Yeah. So, you know, at least you have that. 
I might go. I might go to the, the Thursday game. It's Blackhawks night. Oh, that's cool. Um, so that that might be interesting. Tuesday is '90s night. I don't know what that will entail, but man, I'm looking at the White Sox September schedule. Is the second to last series they have is a five game series against Cleveland. Yeah, because I think there was um, a rainout. It's a makeup. So Thursday, the 23rd, it's a doubleheader makeup. So you get two on Thursday, one on Friday, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and they wrap the season up with um, two at home against Cincinnati, which uh, the second to last game is Jose Abreu MVP bobblehead night. Oh, they they got their promotions all in line. They do, they do. Um, and Thursday the sixteenth. Just in case you're wondering, the promotion is Los White Sox T-shirt day. No, there you go. And Sunday the twelfth is Los White Sox soccer jersey, and the <laughs> September eleventh is White Sox puffy vest giveaway. Like as in Seinfeld puffy vest? Yes. Love it. And that's kind of cool. Puffy I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> uh, what was there was a giveaway yeah, um, when my friend went to the game. Um, it was 1919 throwback jersey game. Hmm. I should text him to see if uh he got anything. He probably gave it away to kids because I, I know he didn't want anything from the White Sox. Um, he um, I, he probably gave it away to some kids or people around him, I'm sure. But um, I could see that. That'd be cool. The 1919 throwback jersey. Because I know they went into the game early, so I'm sure they got it. Oh, well. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think I've said my piece tonight. Uh, yeah, I think I ranted enough. Yeah, I, I think the veins still have to go back <laughs> into your head. I've been massaging them back into place the rest of the episode. <laughs> you need that uh, tranquilizer shot at you. Oh, I know. You, you might have to get me with like four of them. <laughs> like, uh, like a charging rhino. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> <laughs> He's had those darts with the big fluffy ends sticking out as you fall down. (laughs) But that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn app, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. It's how we grow the show. Follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, SwirskySports.com. Um, Alex Pat Sports Chat on Facebook or Alex Pat Sports Chat.blogspot.com. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I 
don't want her, you can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears, 31, the negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.